Greetings, Hushlings. Welcome back to another episode of the Declassified Discussions. Today we are honored to have a formidable criminal defense attorney and CNN, ESPN, USA Today legal analyst for the Mike Tyson, O.J. Simpson, and Kobe Bryant cases. He's an investigative journalist and the author of nearly 30 books, the most recent of which is called Collateral Damage, The Mysterious Deaths of Marilyn Monroe and Dorothy Kilgallen, and The Ties That Bind Them to Robert F. Kennedy and the JFK Assassination. Mark Shaw, thank you so much for being here. But before we get going, could you fill us in about yourself, your work, and how you found yourself here on the Hush House Society Conspiracy Hour? Well, thanks. Uh, I should tell you, uh, Collateral Damage is actually uh, not the latest book. The latest one is Fighting for Justice, because I took what I learned in Collateral Damage and kind of added to that uh, with the research I had in uh, in Collateral Damage. Anyway, um, I hope I'm an inspiration to a lot of people, guys, because uh, uh, it all, I was a near-college dropout at Purdue. It took me almost uh, six years to get through there. Uh, I, I wasn't a very good student in law school. So, uh, and, and people always ask me, uh, I've written all these books, uh, where'd you learn how to write? Well, basically I learned how to write by talking to juries. I never uh, went to any formal uh, workshops. I had never any, any of that. And an awful lot of people these days say my books are easily read. You know, the best selling, the reporter who knew too much, for instance, uh, people commend me on it being easily read. Well, the reason it's easily dead, uh, read is because I'm from a little town in Indiana I don't have a big vocabulary. I don't try to impress readers. I just try to tell them stories. And so that, uh, after I was a criminal defense lawyer, that uh, led me into working for Good Morning America for a while. I covered the, uh, a murder trial in Aspen, Colorado, when uh, a woman named Col- uh, Claudine Langer, who you guys probably are too young to remember, but she was Andy Williams' wife. She was a French singer. And uh, she shot a famous uh, skier named Spider Savage and uh, said that it was accidental. He was showing her how to hold the gun and everything, and it just went on, it went off. So I had worked with Hefley Bailey on a, on a case, and he uh, suggested me for Good Morning America. I'd never done any of that. So I covered that trial, and that led to the other trials. And the first book I wrote was about the Mike Tyson trial, uh, Down for the Count, because I was right there in the front row. There wasn't much evidence against him. His lawyer was the worst one I'd ever seen. And so that was my first book in 1992, and I've been writing them ever since. Um, But the the real break for me in terms of getting into the JFK assassination, uh, if you're interested, came uh, because I practiced law uh, with an attorney named Melvin Belli in San Francisco. And again, I don't know if you're uh, old enough to remember, but he was kind of a legend uh, in his time. He was the um, you know, he was the big shot lawyer in San Francisco who sued all the pharmaceutical companies for millions of dollars, represented the Rolling Stones, uh, Tammy Faye Baker, Errol Flynn, all of these big name uh, clients that he had. Uh, but when I, I, I practiced law with him a little bit in the 1980s in San Francisco. And so when he died, uh, I, I decided to look into what he'd written about his life. And he had actually written two autobiographies and they conflicted. Now, if you think about that, it's kind of funny. It was his life story, but he kind of made it up as he went along. So I thought about writing a book. And so I did uh, try to get the truth. And it was uh, uh, Melvin Belli, King of the Courtroom. And the very first thing I found was that he, first of all, was the attorney for Jack Ruby. And I'm thinking, what is a civil attorney doing there? And second then was that his main client was a gangster in L.A. named Mickey Cohen. And so my curiosity, you guys are curious. Uh, that's why you have this show. I've, I've been, I looked at some of your material. Uh, I'm, I'm just uh, amazed at what you're able to do. I, I, I can tell that you're, uh, you're men of truth and you really try to look uh, for that truth. But anyway, uh, while interviewing that. one of Belli's friends, he said uh, to me, well, you know, he knew Dorothy Kilgallen. And I said, well, what do you mean? He was on What's My Line, the quiz show in New York City on CBS uh, for 15 years. She was the star panelist, all that. He said, no, she was at the Ruby trial. And Melvin Belli, you know, knew her from there. And I thought, what, Dorothy Kilgallen was at the Ruby trial? What'd she have to do with the JFK assassination? So we can go into it a little more deep. But what ha- what that led to was the reporter knew too much. Then it led to collateral damage, which uh, 
uh, I got carried away, as you can see, about 180,000 words, and then to Fighting for Justice, which is the most recent one, where I was able to, for the first time, uh, get a primary source witness, uh, Morris Wolf, who was a legislative assistant for a Warren Commission member, John Sherman Cooper, and took me inside the Warren Commission, and I've been able to uh, really prove beyond any doubt whatsoever the corruption at the Warren Commission. All right, so let's take off pretty quickly. Let's just jump right into it because I know that our listeners and obviously fans of yours want to hear more about what you know about the JFK and assassination, and especially, as you mentioned, Gilgallan. Let us know how she plays into the whole uh, the whole conspiracy. Yeah, sure. I use plot instead of conspiracy, but they're the same thing. Uh, Here's what I'm going to suggest to you, because it it not only uh, involves Dorothy, but it involves the new book, Fighting for Justice and Getting Inside the Warren Commission and everything else. You know, this is a strange time for uh, individuals who believe they know everything about the JFK assassination. Uh, But Dorothy Kilgallen is different because she was actually in Dallas and right after the assassination, great close friend of JFK's and so on and so forth, at the Ruby trial, interviewing Ruby, all that. But what's important, in fact, today I was just amazed, there's a conference uh, in in Pittsburgh that's going to be this weekend about the JFK assassination. They supposedly have rounded up all of these experts. Guess who two of their main speakers are? Alec Baldwin and Rob Reiner. And Reiner has apparently come up with four new suspects or whatever. I mean, I don't know, but anyway, that kind of surprised me. But uh, what, what we have to do is, if, if you don't mind, is go back in time and think about the, the mind of J. Edgar Hoover. All right, so JFK is killed. And right away, guys, he, he says to himself, it's in my books, and I have corroboration of that, hey, wait a second, I may be, the FBI and I may be blamed for the assassination because we didn't stop it. So he thinks about that and he says to himself, well, we've got to do something quickly. So they start shouting, Oswald alone, Oswald alone to the world. And he tells the Justice Department, we have to, if you remember that quote, uh, we have to convince the American public it was uh, Lee Harvey Oswald and nobody else. He then goes ahead and confiscates all of the Dallas Police Department files and sends them to D.C. to the Bureau. He then goes ahead without any authority whatsoever and confiscates JFK's body and ships it off to Washington, D.C. His excuse, by the way, was, uh, which is just amazing if you think about it, the people bought this, uh, there is, it's not a state crime to kill a president. Well, it was, and obviously the state attorney general was going to investigate the Dallas Police Department and everything, but he he just decided it was a federal crime. He ships that off. So now what does he do? Well, if you think about it, it's interesting because he says, all right, now wait a minute, we've got to watch out for these investigations. And he knew that the Texas attorney general was going to investigate. Congress was going to investigate. There could have been all these investigations. So he gets together with his buddy LBJ and neither of them want their background investigated, that's for sure. So they decide they're going to uh, organize the Warren Commission. They're going to take Earl Warren as head because he's the Supreme Court Chief Justice. That'll give it authority and authenticity and all of that. And so that's what they do. And we're going to stop there because as they're organizing there, uh, all of that, guys, here comes Dorothy Kilgallen. She and JFK were very close friends. He had played charades at her home. She'd been, he'd been to parties at her home. In fact, the real kicker with regard to her getting involved after she saw him uh, being assass- saw the assassination and then saw Ruby shoot Oswald was the fact that uh, with, with, uh, with JFK, she had taken her son to the White House. This may seem like a little detail, but it's a big one. Her son, Carrie, was in the third grade. She took him to the White House. Pierre Salinger set up a meeting with JFK in the library. And when they got there, uh, JFK went ahead and made a fuss over the letters that Carrie had brought from his third grade class, uh, play, you know, praising uh, Carrie for all of that. And it meant a lot to her and obviously to Carrie. So one of the first columns that she wrote about the JFK assassination, just within days, of the, of the assassination. One of them was the Oswald file must not close, which warned Hoover that she was on the job. But the other one was 
What I remember is a tall man stooping over a little boy, praising him for bringing his uh, letters from his third grade class. This is the man who was assassinated in Dallas. And that led to Dorothy's 18-month investigation. She was there. We have photographs in these books of her in Dealey Plaza. Uh, she was um, uh, at the Ruby trial. We have photographs of that. She, she got to know Melvin Belli and was at a news conference. We have footage of that. And then the big kicker was she was at the Ruby trial in the front row. And two things happened there. Remember, Ruby said that he just accidentally uh, came by the basement where Oswald was being transferred. Well, she heard testimony from a, a parking lot manager across the street who said, no, wait a minute, uh, on, on the Saturday before he shot uh, Oswald on the Sunday, he came over, uh, Ruby came over to the parking lot and I heard him on the phone say, uh, ask about the transfer of Oswald and say he would be there. He'd act like a reporter to get in and he'd use his police department uh, friends and Dorothy later proved that through a column of all the friends that, it, that uh, Ruby had with the police. They used to go to his strip bar and all these other kind of things. And that's, that's what he said. And so Dorothy's eyes light up because this doesn't make sense in terms of what he was saying. So she's on the job. So what does she do then? Well, uh, we have audio taped um, conversations between uh, LBJ and Hoover. They, 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 you can find them on the, uh, I found them at the, at the National Archives. That's one of my best uh, uh, source places. They're talking about the Warren Commission, who they're going to put on there, okay? Well, number one, they're, those two will be on there. They're going to put or Warren out there because they think they can control him. And this is all, all about Hoover controlling the negative, I mean the narrative, controlling the narrative and never it never coming back to him or LBJ or whatever. First, they put Alan Dulles on there. Well, I, I would assume in all the days you've done your programs, you probably have talked about Alan Dulles. He was fired by LBJ, or yeah, fired by uh, John Kennedy uh, two years before Kennedy was assassinated. He's on the on the Warren Commission, okay? Who do they put on there next? They put on Jerry Ford. And as it says in the audio tapes, uh, LBJ says, well, yeah, we should, we should put him on there because Jerry Ford, using the old cliche, can't think and chew gum at the same time. So they can control him very easily, all right? And they got Dulles on there. And so they go down through, they got uh, everybody they want, but finally they think to themselves, we better put a couple others on here that are going to be beyond reproach in terms of their integrity. And they made a big mistake. They put on there Senator Richard Russell from Georgia and Senator John Sherman Cooper from Kentucky. And despite one being a Republican, Cooper, and the other a Democrat, uh, Russell, uh, they were men of integrity. They really were. And, and John Sherman Cooper was a very close friend of JFK's. I have pictures of him in the book, he and his wife at the White House with Jackie and JFK and all of that. So what happens then? Well, to, to go ahead and really control everything that's happening at the Warren Commission, uh, Hoover has to, to really run, run the whole show. And what he does is then he goes ahead and has the commission. Uh, he, he first of all says, they have to sign a code of silence. They can't talk about any of the inner workings of the commission. And they go ahead then and they have these commission meetings, but uh, all of a sudden then, and this is I'm sure what happens to you with tips uh, that, that lead to shows of yours. Uh, last July, I got, a tele I got an email from a guy who, named Morris Wolf. And Morris Wolf said in his email, Mr. Shaw, I just watched a, uh, uh, a presentation of yours at the Allen Library near Dallas. He said, uh, you have almost 6 million uh, YouTube views on there. And by the way, we have almost 11 million views now of my presentations and interviews from places I've been, including one last Tuesday at the Commonwealth Club in San Francisco. But he said, Mr. Shaw, I knew Dorothy Kilgallen. Well, you can imagine your ears would perk up just like mine because there aren't many, many people around anymore who knew Dorothy. I used to search for them, hard to find. So I call him and he just starts going in on things. He, he, I, I couldn't record it because he was going so quickly and I couldn't go ahead and, and really record it. He said, first of all, Mr. Shaw, I'm a graduate of, of, of the law school at Yale. I got, I got out of school and uh, it was suggested to me by a professor. I started, you guys are gonna be amazed at this next thing I'm gonna tell you because I didn't know about this until recently. Uh, he said, I, when I got out, out of university, um, uh, 
a professor suggested me to Robert Kennedy. And I started working for Robert Kennedy. And you know, too, with all the accounts that you hear of things, you really look for detail so that you can really tell if that person is giving you the right story or not. He said, you know, I used to walk into Senator Kennedy or uh, Vice President, Attorney General Kennedy's office, and he would sit there and his shorts, his uh, shirt sleeve would be rolled up like this, and he'd have his tie loosened, and, and you could kind of watch his face because when he was upset, his chin would move. And if you look at photographs of Robert Kennedy, that's exactly how he dressed when he was in the office. So I'm listening very careful, carefully. And he said, you know, not only did I work for Senator Kennedy, but I helped write Title II of the Civil Rights Act. And more than that, talk about trust. And this is what I, I just couldn't believe when I first heard it. He said, they trusted me so much that I was the go-between between JFK and the White House and Robert Kennedy in the Attorney's General's office. And I rode my bicycle back and forth with envelopes that were with, that were sealed with secret material. I had a high security clearance and I took them back and forth. And you know why, Mr. Shaw? And I said, why? Because they knew J. Edgar Hoover was tapping their phones. Now, just think of that. At the highest echelon of government, you've got the FBI director tapping the phones of the attorney general and the president. It's just disturbing. So he said, well, then let me move ahead because I think you want to know how I knew Dorothy Kilgallen. I said, well, I sure do. Oh, he said, I used to go to parties at Senator John Sherman Cooper's uh, house in, um, in Georgetown at 29th and N Street. And of course, after the interview, I checked whether that was the right address for Senator Cooper. And he said, I went there. I sat right next to her at the dinner table. Jackie was there sometimes and Senator Cooper and his wife and all that. And I said, well, how did this all happen? He said, well, when I was done working for Senator, uh, working for uh, uh, Bobby Kennedy, uh, he said, you know, there's somebody else that could use you, and that's Senator John Sherman Cooper uh, of Kentucky. And so I became his legislative assistant. And he goes on and he says, and there's some things that you probably will be interested in knowing, because I'm pretty sure that Dorothy knew about this because she and Cooper became very good friends. He called Dorothy a bright light bulb, and that she was always very curious at the dinner table. Hell, he was... She was introduced. She was uh, uh, interrogating me basically as before she even got her first bowl of soup, and that was kind of who Dorothy was. You know, she was syndicated to 200 newspapers across the country. The star of What's My Line had a radio show listened to by a million people. Uh, Pulitzer Prize nominated. Uh, you know, just an amazing uh, integra woman of integrity. The New York Post called her the most uh, powerful female voice in America. But she and Cooper became friends. And I said, well, how did that happen? He said, because they were both people of integrity. And they didn't like cover-ups and things like that. So he said, also, I should tell you, and, and you can imagine how I'm taking this all in, because it, it's just, I mean, out of the blue, I get all this. He says, I used to go with Senator Cooper in my sob to the Warren Commission hearings. I sat right in the back row and listened and watched that happen. And the first thing that was interesting to me is, there weren't any, there weren't hardly any Warren Commission members there. It was all the staff. The staff was doing the questioning. And of course, that goes right back to J. Edgar Hoover. He can control the staff. He doesn't know who he can control on the, on the uh, Warren Commission. And so he said that was just amazing. And he said, I think you can find a, a, a letter of resignation from Senator Cooper uh, where he was so upset that he wasn't invited sometimes when, for instance, when Oswald's brother was being uh, interviewed. He wasn't even inv invited. He never sent that letter, but he was very upset about those kind of things. So uh, you can imagine right now that in your mind that Hoover had no uh, no intention whatsoever of finding the truth here. It was going to be Oswald alone, and that was going to be it. So he then tells me that uh, during the trips to uh, the hearings, Cooper used to talk to him, and he said things like this. The commission members already know about the Jack Ruby connection to war to or, uh, to organize crime, but they don't want to touch it. It's more than Oswald, but Hoover and Chief Justice Earl Warren keep pushing the Oswald alone conclusion. Our new president, Lyndon Johnson, wants to cover up and move on. The commission members want to bury the truth under a pile of stones, and Earl Warren is acting like a third world dictator. Uh, this is the one that really uh, hit me hit home when I thought about the distrust there was, the deceit, 
the big lies that they were telling at the commission. They, the commission members, say this Oswald alone conclusion is good for God and country, but there is internal corruption, and I don't know why. And the staffers, he talks about the staffers and all of that, and then kind of goes into just um, a barrage of, uh, of inconsistencies with regard to what they were doing as the commission uh, pulled up its investigation. With Jack Ruby, do you think that there was any kind of maybe like a three-way communication? Jack Ruby was connected to Santos Traficante. Mm-hmm. Santos Traficante and that mafia was involved with the Bay of Pigs and stuff going on in Cuba. And then that later involves the CIA and FBI and just all these people kind of coming together. Do you mm-hmm. think that maybe the FBI, for, for lack of a better term, hired the mafia mm-hmm. to take out JFK, to kind of distance themselves from the actual hit, but to put it in in a roundabout way? Anything is certainly possible. Uh, right from the start, though, Dorothy Kilgallen focused on one man, not Oswald, on Ruby. At the, uh, at the Ruby trial, uh, he, he, her, his co-counsel, and you can see this on the DorothyKilgallenStory.org, his the co-counsel, Joe Tonahill, tells uh, Dorothy that Ruby wants to talk to him. And she goes back by the railing in the courtroom and does that. And so what she learned from Ruby, uh, as, we will, as we will divulge, uh, we don't exactly know. Because the moment, about two hours after Dorothy died under mysterious circumstances in November 1965, a staged death scene, so on, so on, so forth, uh, the FBI raided her apartment and took all of her files. And they've disappeared. I've tried to find them everywhere, but they're gone. So she focused on Ruby, not Oswald, and whatever he told her, uh, the next thing she did is she went to New Orleans. And that, of course, was the home of Carlos Marcello. And her belief was that uh, she found out through her research that he was a logical candidate to have uh, orchestrated the death of JFK. And you have to go back a little bit, and I did this in one of my books, uh, The Poison Patriarch, you have to go back to the 60 election because the, uh, the Kennedys, uh, JFK, they were gonna lose the election and Joe knew it. They, they needed to win Illinois and West Virginia, you may remember. And so uh, Joe Kennedy uses his friend Frank Sinatra to get a hold of Giancana. Giancana and Marsalda are very good friends. Traficante fits in there as well. Uh, you may know it or you may not know something that I found early in my research. They all had the same lawyer. Uh, I'm trying to think of his name in Tampa. And, and, and one of the other people that had that same lawyer was James Hoffa. So there was that collection and that connection with all of them. But Dorothy said to herself, well, uh, I know that uh, Robert Kennedy, they were, they were supposed to leave the mafia alone uh, after they helped him win the election. But right away, and I had an eyewitness there, a very distinguished journalist who was right there in a, in a, a morning um, luncheon at the White House, uh, or a morning breakfast at the White House, who was right there when Joe Kennedy ordered JFK to appoint Bobby Kennedy attorney general. That changed the course of history because Bobby Kennedy hated the, ma- the mafia, as you remember. They had the McClellan hearings and all of that. He called, what do you say about Giancana? He's like a giggling little girl or something. He hated those people. He wrote the book, The Enemy Within. And so uh, then he deported Marcelo to Central America, or the wilds of Central America. He almost died. He got back in the country. And Dorothy, I think, as I've tried to do, just use common sense. What's the motive then? Uh, he has to think to himself, well, I want to get rid of that rat Bobby Kennedy. I could use other words that he would have used. But if I kill him, JFK will come after me with everything the government has. But if I orchestrate the death of John Kennedy, Bobby Kennedy will be powerless. And that's exactly what happened. He never went after those guys. He resigned. Remember all of that. So Dorothy's got that in her mind. Now, I I do want to talk about, uh, because I want to answer that question, what you're talking about with the with the other possibilities that could have occurred. But you know what, guys, we will never know because they closed up that Warren Commission, and I'll tell you how they did it in just a little bit, with the final verdict being Oswald alone. They never investigated anybody but Oswald alone. So we don't know about LBJ's possible complicity. We don't know about Hoover's with that. We don't know about the Kennedys with fixing the 60 election and what I've proven with Bobby Kennedy being complicit in Marilyn Monroe's death. We don't know about the Cubans. We don't know about the Russians. We don't know about any of that 
because at that time they never investigated any of it. And that was on purpose. They didn't want that to come back uh, to them or, or whatever. And they had Nicholas Katzenbach as, a, as kind of an advisor uh, to, the, uh, to the commission uh, protecting the Kennedys. And of course, Alan Dulles is there. I got a great photograph in Fighting for Justice of tall LBJ and a little short Alan Dulles at LBJ's ranch. And they're there just before the assassination and all of that. So unfortunately, you see, there, there isn't a great, I know a lot of people have come up with connections and so on and so forth that way. But Dorothy never did that. She just basically went ahead and focused on Ruby uh, and, and then that led, led her to Marcello. And then that was going to be, uh, she, she believed that he had orchestrated the JFK assassination and that uh, J. Edgar Hoover had covered it up. And that was going to be part of a book she was writing for Random House uh, as the fall of 1965 happened. So all of those are possibilities. And, and I really did try, and I think to answer your question, I really did try to go back in time and look that, at that connection uh, with the lawyer in Tampa uh, who was very mobbed up. And, uh, and I could never, though, really show that, uh, you know, James Hoffa hated Bobby Kennedy more than anything. You know that. Uh, tried to strangle him at one point, I think. So any, everything is possible like that. And, uh, you know, I'm sure that there'll be, uh, now that they were by the assassination, there'll be a lot of these theories come out or whatever. But I only use primary sources and I don't speculate. And, uh, you know, maybe in the future, somebody using my research or whatever will go back to that, uh, that connection with that one lawyer and be able to put together the kind of uh, plot, I will call it, uh, that you're you're talking about because it's common sense. It would have made sense. Uh, it seems to me. Now with Dorothy pertaining to her, was she on high profile cases? I know she had a ton of accolades, but was she targeting these types of high profile cases beforehand, yeah, or was this just something that kind of jumped up? No, um, you know she was a college dropout. Her father was a famous journalist at the New York Journal American. She, uh, you know, kind of tricked him into her being given a, 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 a you know, a, few, a couple of weeks work there. And then right away, she covered a, 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 a electrocution at Sing Sing. Uh, then she got into looking at all the, she loved murder trials. The first one, a big case she got involved with was the uh, Lindbergh baby kidnapping case. She was at that trial and tried to talk to, uh, the defendant, but uh, the lawyers uh, swept him away. And then the Dr. Sam Shepard case, which you remember, became the fugitive. She was right there in the courtroom. Um, I, I, I mentioned I worked with Lee, Lee Bailey, and he was the uh, uh, appellate lawyer for, uh, for uh, uh, Dr. Sam Shepard. And uh, it was interesting because I want to give you two examples of her integrity. The first would be that, uh, well, the first would be at, the, at, the, uh, at this trial. Uh, when she got there, you know, every time she went to a trial, including the one in Dallas for the Ruby trial, the judge would call her in, want an autograph, want a picture taken, all that kind of stuff, because she was a huge celebrity. Jack Ruby, for instance, admitted they watched What's My Line every Sunday night at the at the strip club, and he admired her so much. That's a, that's one, isn't that the beauty? Uh, anyway, so uh, at the at the uh, Dr. Sam Shepard case, she goes into the judge's office and he says, "Well, Miss uh, Miss." Kavyana, I'm surprised you're here. And she, he said, what are you doing here? And she said, well, oh my gosh, this has everything you would want. It has sex, murder, a famous surgeon, all this. And the judge said to her, well, I don't know what you're talking about. Shepard's guilty as hell. Now, many reporters would have had that on the front page the next day, but he told her that in confidence. And it was only after uh, the judge died that she finally got a hold of F. Lee Bailey and told him that. And the honest truth there is that her recollection of what the judge said, the bias he had, overturned Dr. Sam Shepard's uh, case and, and made him a free man. And then DNA showed a couple years later it wasn't him. It was that one-armed man, you know, or whatever it was. So that's the first one about integrity. The second one was that John Sherman Cooper made, it a, made the, uh, the Warren, Warren Commission Jack Ruby testimony available to Dorothy. And uh, when I asked Morris Wolf about that, he said, it's interesting, and he kind of paid me a compliment as well. It was nice. He said, you know, John Sherman Cooper was a man of the truth. He passed the baton to Dorothy, 
and now I'm passing the baton to you. And what he did is he gave her a copy of the Warren Commission Jack Ruby testimony. Uh, she printed it on the front page of the Journal American, and J. Edgar Hoover went crazy. Where did she get it? How did she, what's her source? How did she find all this? Where's the leak? All of that. And then he decided, okay, well, I'm going to wear her down. He sent, I like to think of, it, of this scene as a two big, two, two big burly FBI agents go to her, go to her home and they're in the living room with little tiny Dorothy and she doesn't have a lawyer. She's on the couch and they just start interrogating her. Where'd you get these? Who's the source? You know, and, and you may be arrested for this and everything. And she looked at him and, and this is her, probably her most famous quote, I think. Uh, although she said, justice is a big rug when you, when you pull it out, a lot of others fall too. That was an incredible um, quote by her that we have in, in the reporter who knew too much. But she said to the agents, I would rather die than reveal my sources. Good for and her. It, so that's the, that's the woman she was. And I have to tell you that uh, uh, I, I, I feel in my own mind and have to watch myself sometimes because people, I'm an oddball anyway, but they'll think I'm crazy, just completely crazy. And so I've said, you know, that I think Dorothy found me uh, from the hereafter. Somewhere or another, she got in touch with me, and I think she wanted me to write her story. I don't know if you guys believe in that kind of stuff, but I think that's what happened. Well, no, it's interesting that you say that, and that very well could be the case. I wouldn't say that it's crazy. Before hearing about you and your work, I, I wasn't even aware of most of that Dorothy situation. So that very well could be you're shedding light to a portion of this whole entire case that a lot of people aren't very aware of. But on another note regarding the assassination as a whole, sure. you personally, do, do you think it's possible that he transferred a message from Hoffa to Marcello saying, get rid of Kennedy. And that could have possibly been the wrong Kennedy that got hit, meaning it, it was meant for, for Bobby. Boy, I'll tell you, I don't think, I don't think you have to stretch your imagination very much to believe that I'll give you one clue to it. Uh, and I verified this through uh, Frank Regano, his uh, son and Frank Regano's wife on the night JFK was killed. They were at the Fountain Blow, if I'm pronouncing it right, hotel bar in Miami. And the moment they heard about it, they stood up and toasted champagne. Now, as much as Bobby Isn't Kennedy hated RFK, there's, there's no question that that could have happened. Uh, Regano was really mobbed up, and, and, he, and he was in Cuba, and he was, you know, all of these guys. You know, the one that people don't talk about very much of those gangsters was Traficante. Uh, if you take it, have, have you ever seen a picture of him? He's kind of this measly little guy who looks like he might be a school teacher, but he was terrified. They, they, people were terrified by him. He, he was a, a, a you know, cold-blooded killer if somebody got in his way. I remember Nancy Regano telling me, Frank's wife, that when she was down there, Frank wanted... Uh, he, uh, Traficante to uh, wanted his his wife to show Traficante some homes uh, that he might buy, and so she was in the car with him, and he, she said she was shaking all the time, and finally he started hitting on her, of course, and she got to a street corner and just jumped out of the car. So you know that, that's really interesting. I never have thought of that, but uh, I'll, uh, I'll I'll maybe look into that a little bit more. The wrong person, huh? You think? Well, that could very be very well be possible. Yes. I mean, they succeeded eventually, whoever it was. Yeah, that was one thing. Our one of our what was it? Our fourth episode we ever did over three years ago. We mm -hmm. did a two part JFK and new information for <laughs> for us. How'd your interview go with Frank Regano's son? How was that? I'll tell you, he was pretty straight arrow, but he was closed mouth. Yeah, you know I those guys. It. Those guys didn't talk. You know, uh, well, think of Johnny, uh, Johnny Regali. Is that what was his name? Johnny, you know, the mobster who was found in the uh, in the barrel uh, with his body all cut up in the uh, Miami Bay. Johnny Roselli. You know, you can't mess around with those guys. I'll, I'll give you just a quick example. I hope if, if we if we may. When I worked for Good Morning America. I, I was the roving reporter, and so they sent me to Philadelphia, and I, and I interviewed the, the attorney for uh, one of the, the mafioso there, the kingpin mafioso there. 
and we were surprised he would talk to me. But I went to Philadelphia and I interviewed him and he said a lot of things that I didn't think he should say. Uh, Rizzo was Rizzo was the him, was the mafia guy's name. So I went back to New York and they ran that. Uh, uh, well, I stayed in Philadelphia and they ran that air, aired it the next day and it was a huge hit. So the producer called me and said, Mark, uh, do you think he'd talk to you again? And I said, well, let me find out. So I placed a phone call to, to the office of the attorney. And I said, is Mr. Such and Such there? And dead silence. And then I thought I heard crying. And she came back on the line and I said, are you okay? And she said, well, I guess you don't know. Uh, they blew up my boss in his car this morning. So you can't mess around with those guys. And you know, that's exactly what, uh, what happens. And so I, I might tell you, I flew to the airport and then flew back to New York. I didn't want anything to do with that because, you know, they play by a different rules. And uh, people have always asked me, you know, Mark, uh, all the things you've done, do you get criticism? Do you get death threats? Do you get all these different kinds of things happening? Well, yes, that's just part of the job and everything. But I like to say, well, it's one of the main reasons I only write about dead guys. <laughs> Smart. Smart. (laughs) Not trying to get a car bomb. And Morris Wolf, by the the way, told me that he had never told anybody the story he told me because he was scared for so many years. Um, You know, when Dorothy died, her family, her colleagues, nobody looked into her death. Uh, She was found in a bed she didn't, uh, a bedroom she didn't sleep in, a bed she never slept in, her eyelashes, um, uh, her uh, hairpiece and her makeup on, uh, just, you know, it, it made no sense whatsoever, and yet there was no investigation. Uh, the uh, police uh, detective w- walked in, saw an empty bottle of Secanol, and said, well, it's another celebrity who overdosed. Uh, Michael Bodden, I, I really took, took off on him, you know, the forensic science that's on a radio show uh, last year when I asked him about him signing the autopsy that said she died of an overdose of barbiturates, circumstances undetermined, and he admitted to me they didn't know what happened. So they just threw that out to the media and made Dorothy look like a druggie. So, you know, there were, people did, oh, uh, uh, Dorothy's hairdresser, who I, uh, we, we were able to interview, and his interviews up on the DorothyKilgallenStory.org will tell you all about the fact that as November of 65 came along, after she'd gone to New Orleans and, and uh, told him that she had connected Oswald, Marcello, and uh, Ruby, and she was going to crack the case wide open, told him to go back to New York City, don't tell anybody you're here, you were here, and don't ask any questions. She said, if the wrong people knew what I know about the JFK assassination, it would cost me my life. I'm afraid for my life and my family, and I bought a gun. And then she was dead, and there was no investigation whatsoever. Three years later, it was proven by some forensic scientists who saved her bodily fluids. There were three lethal uh, do- doses of barbiturates in her stomach. They, and I, I like to tell people, you know, want to know why Dorothy had it right? They killed her. They couldn't let her write that book for Random House. I, I want to ask you, uh, how, how do you feel about the, the CIA having been involved in JFK's death? Because, you know, she, Warren Commission closed that off, but Dorothy never looked into it. Do you think that was maybe a mistake on her part? Well, having Alan Dole as a part of it is kind of a eyebrow razor, right? I think so. You know? <laughs> yeah. He was a weasley little guy. But I, I just wonder about that. Especially with the animosity between JFK and the CIA at the time and the FBI. He was number one on their hit list, I would say. You know, him wanting to get rid of the CIA, what did he say, break it into a million pieces or something. Oh, that's right. I when we looked into it, it was hard not to look at the connection of the possibility of the CIA working hand in hand with the mafia mm-hmm. to get rid of JFK. A lot of the anti-war thing going on, he wanted us to pull out of Asia and all these different places. And that might have thrown a a wrench in the works, especially with the work that they were doing in the Golden Triangle at the time. (laughs) I want to show you one more uh, corroboration of what Morris Morris Wolf told me. Not trying to sell books here, but I just want to, I want you to see the cover here. See the Warren Commission? That's them handing the final report to LBJ, or to uh, to, yeah, LBJ, okay? So Morris Wolf says to me, well, you know, uh, and we're gonna t- I want to talk about just quickly in a minute uh, what, uh, 
what they really did to cover up everything because it's it's an alarming story and i want to do that uh but he said if you want to know how disgusted cooper was with the warren commission report and i will just tell you right now i'm going to in a minute show you that they uh that, that senator richard russell and senator john sherman cooper wanted a dissent in the final uh warren commission re uh, final report and they were promised it and it wasn't in there so he said, just take a look at where John Sherman Cooper is in this photograph. That's him right there. And Mr. Shaw, you will see, he's hiding behind Hale Boggs, okay? And the other thing, and I get tips from people all the time, and I, I answer every email, and, and I never know where things are going to happen. He said, a person got a hold of me, I think it was from Australia, about two weeks ago, and said, well, I, I hear what you're saying about Cooper here, but take a look at the, 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 take a look, at the look on Alan Dulles' face. He's looking at Cooper like he'd like to strangle him. And the reason he's doing that is because they did demand a uh, uh, dissent in the, war, in the, uh, in the uh, final report. And what I found was a December 63 uh, Senate memorandum written by Senator Russell. Something strange is happening. Warren and Katzenbach know all about the FBI and CIA, and they are apparently and others just planning to show Oswald is the only one to be considered. This, this to me is an, an untenable position. I must uh, insist on outside counsel. And then I took that information, as you guys do, I'm sure, in follow-up, to look at the oral histories of Senator John Sherman Cooper at the University of Kentucky and Senator Russell at the University of Georgia. And I found a memo, September 18, 1964. Now think about that. That's, uh, what, six days before the Warren Commission report is revealed. With these points before him, Richard Russell forced a final executive session of the Warren Commission. His main agenda was to present his prepared dissent and refuse to sign, refuse to sign the commission report unless the dissent was included. And the dissent, by the way, well, no, it will say here. After presenting his concern, he was joined in his dissent by Senator John Sherman Cooper and to a lesser extent, Representative Boggs. I never knew that. In an oral history conducted late in his life, Senator Cooper recalled what Russell's well-reasoned reasoned, well opinion had great influence on Cooper's own conclusion. Like Russell, Cooper was impressed by the strong and compelling testimony of Doc, uh, Governor Conley and thus was willing to follow lead, Russell's lead in rejecting the silver bullet theory and Oswald alone. He was, in, it was, he was struck by Russell's emphatic refusal to sign a statement that categorically concluded that one bullet had struck both Kennedy and Connolly. Uh, although he did not go so far as to present a uh, uh, prepare a written dissent, he was willing to join Russell in a minority report. So they discussed that, the executive committee, that would be all of the members of the commission, and they were promised this report. And we don't have time to go through the rest of my research there, but I'll tell you what lengths they went to based on Senator Russell's oral history. The minutes of this meeting disappeared. It was supposed to be, a sonographer was supposed to record that, okay? And Senator Russell then found out that the, the stenography company, that there was a woman present when this meeting took place, and they believed that she was recording it. Well, she wasn't. They had tricked them into believing there was no uh, record, no copy of the dissent itself material, and nothing of the meeting whatsoever. And as far as the dissent document, they basically just destroyed it. It, it. it never was there. And Russell just went berserk when he found all of this. He went back to uh, Georgia. He knew he was dying of cancer. And he tried to shout to the world, you know, hey, this is what happened, this is what happened, this is what happened. And his comment in oral history is, the Warren Commission took it too far. The American public did not want to believe anything other, when, other than Oswald alone. So that's the length that they went to, that Hoover went to and LBJ went to, to just shut the door on any uh, possibility that this would ever come to light. And I would have never found it except for Morris Wolf uh, getting in touch with me and filling me in on Cooper, which led me to Russell and, uh, and the, uh, the information. And, and that's in uh, Fighting for Justice as well as uh, some new material I'm working on. Doesn't that just upset you? I mean, it's mind-boggling, isn't it? That they would go to that those lengths.
it's mind-boggling because even just as something as simple as watching like the Zapruder film, you don't have to be a ballistics expert to know that there's something else going on there and the, the, the movements of the body doesn't come from behind and you don't go backwards when you get shot from behind. So it's, I mean, that's the most compelling thing for me. I mean, it was obviously decades before any of us were alive, but even now looking at it, it's like, oh man, it's super messy. And there's a brand new documentary that came out which didn't help any cause in making me believe that Oswald was by himself or the sole person and that there wasn't something else. I mean, he says it himself on video footage. I'm a patsy. Yeah, it may be the only true thing that anybody said. Yeah, and that, that makes a lot of sense. You know, people get away from common sense with regard to this. You know, on my website, MarkShawBooks.com, I put together a common sense scenario of what I what I believe happened, but basically what Dorothy believed happened. And and there are three true crime murder mysteries here. Certainly Marilyn Monroe in 62, JFK in 63, and Dorothy in 65. And when I was a criminal defense lawyer, I always looked at motive. And if you look at motive in each one of those situations, although he, he's mentioned now about the, uh, maybe they got the wrong Kennedy, uh, you know, you, 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 can figure, you can figure out what really happened without going into all of these tangents or whatever. But yeah, for whatever reason, and, and I would fault the media too, guys, back then. Dorothy was writing all these columns, the Oswald file must not close, uh, Dally, uh, Dallas police party at Oswald, you know, there were all these clues and everything. Uh, but nobody was paying attention. Do you think she was interviewed at the Warren Commission? No way. Do you think she was interviewed at the House Select Committee on Assassinations, the church report? None of that. In fact, I find it interesting today, one of my uh, supporters uh, told me about the various conferences that are being held around the country, one in Pittsburgh, one in Memphis, one in Dallas, regarding the JFK assassination, okay? Do you think I've been invited? No way. Because you, if they're going to look into all these conspiracy theories and everything else like that, they don't want to, uh, they don't want to know about Dorothy. They wouldn't invite her now because she, she goes against the grain, you know, and, and her her investigation is so credible in terms of what happened and makes such common sense. Uh, but, uh, you know, I appreciate your having me on the show because a lot of times I've been told, you know, no, 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 that you can't do that. Uh, if you want to talk about some of the other aspects, the, the bullet, uh, where the bullets came from and everything else like that, we can do that. But don't get us into Dorothy Kilgallen's uh, observations and her investigation. Well, it's definitely a, an important piece to the greater puzzle for sure. But with that being said, and Dave mentioned the Zapruder film, you mentioned the the common sense regarding the, the entirety of the case and the, mm -hmm. the three different assassinations. Mm -hmm. Taking all of that into consideration, are, are there any of those really wonky theories that you slightly get behind? The crazy ones, like the driver did it, or Jacqueline Kenny did it, or oh, uh, the umbrella oh, umbrella God. man, or I love the I lady love in the red dress. Oh, or... I want him to do it because I love that umbrella man. Did it. Yeah? Well, you'll, you'll get a kick out of this then. I hear all the theories from my emails and phone calls and things like that. I've heard them all uh, with regard to what happened, but probably here's the best one. So this woman in New Jersey gets in touch with me, email, and she said, you really want to know how JFK was killed? Uh, and, and I said, well, sure. Okay, Jackie did it. Uh, the Secret Service gave her a gun. She shot him on the, uh, she took it, put it in her purse. She took it out. She shot him on the White House lawn. She then tossed the gun into the bushes. The Secret Service retrieved it. And then they had a body bag ready and they took JFK's body away. She went back in and had her lunch. And then they used doubles for JFK from that from that point on. Now you know. There's a lot of speculation that our current president is a body double, so you never oh, know yeah. with that. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you look at him or you look at the former president and you see kind of a plastic look there and you wonder, is that the real person or not? You know, with AI, anything's possible. Yeah. One of these days, we'll wonder if you guys are real. <laughs> Speaking of body doubles, just to go along with the theory, have you heard any of the stories of Oswald himself having oh. a, a double? Or a triple. 
A triple, yeah. There was some eyewitness accounts in the parking area of the grassy knoll that somebody had seen Oswald get into the back of a car following the shooting. Maybe they were all CIA assets. Oswald, Ruby, <laughs> Traficante. <laughs> well, I think I think they all were, especially because those guys were heavily involved in the casinos in uh, in Cuba. And, um, you know, uh, then they were taken away by, was it Batista took them away? And then they tried to get them back. And, and, the, and the whole, uh, you know, uh, but, you know, in, in the, an interview that I just did uh, with the Commonwealth, you know, this is the 60th anniversary of JFK's assassination. And I tried to say, as I did with Marilyn Monroe and Dorothy, what we lost when they died. Uh, because the, the Kennedys, uh, despite all their womanizing and Bobby and Marilyn and all that, you know, there were two shining moments in their life. That's for sure. One was civil rights and the other was the Cuban Missile Crisis. You got to give them credit for those kind of things. And maybe that's how they should be remembered. I don't know. But uh, I wonder what, uh, you know, basically, I believe Dorothy's uh, justice was denied. Marilyn's justice was denied. So was JFK's, Um, you know, because he never got a fair shake with regard to what was happening was happening uh, before he died and just after. Morris Wolf told me that uh, they tried in, 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 the, uh, in the White House to, to, to keep uh, Jack Kennedy from going to Dallas. And he said, I had a brother, Morris did, who had lived in Dallas for 40 years. He called me and said, don't let him come to Dallas. Don't let him come there. They're, they are going to kill him. And of course, I don't know if you agree or not, but Dealey Plaza was just a trap. I mean, there's only one way in and way out, one way out of there, and that sounds kind of like the mafia in some ways, but it could be the, the CIA or, or whoever. Um, you know, that's the death trap. There's no question about it. There wasn't, once he got made that turn in the limousine, he was a dead guy. He was the lowest point of anywhere around there, so it's just everybody else has the high ground at that point, no matter where you're at. Exactly, exactly. What do you guys find most fascinating about the, the assassination uh, uh, that, 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 that they uh, actually killed the president, that there were the cover-ups, that all these things, do you, what, what, what is, have you, have you all been fascinated with it for a long time or, or just recently? Oh, my, at least since I was a teenager and started reading about it, obviously we weren't here when it happened. My dad tells me he remembers being in school. My mom tells me she remembers being in school and seeing it or hearing about it on the news and they pretty much stopped school that day. It's kind of like a 9-11 moment for us, for, for our generation, you know? And I often think like what you said, like what would be different? You know, I wasn't around in the sixties nor the seventies, the mid late eighties, but what would be different with our country? Because there's the, the layer cake of the JFK assassination is skyscraper high. Yeah. Good point. Good point. You know, the, 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 uh, 1960s were, was a violent time. You had uh, Martin Luther King dead, Malcolm X, Dorothy Maryland, JFK, Robert Kennedy. Well, I guess Robert Kennedy. Yeah, 68. Uh, you know, and if you one of my observation on RFK's death, I believe it can be connected to JFK's. Because if I'm Marcello and I've gotten away with killing, uh, orchestrating JFK's death, and I see in the headline that Bobby Kennedy's running for president, I'm thinking, well, the first thing he's going to do if he gets elected is he's going to come after me. Yep. And I was able to trace, I went back to Belli and, and uh, 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 the mafioso in, uh, in Los Angeles, his main client, was able to show that he owned uh, ra- uh, Hollywood Race Park, uh, Race Park, Raceway, and that uh, uh, Saran Sarhan had uh, been a uh, stable boy there. And Marcello was very close with uh, with the mafioso who owned that. And there was that connection in there. But I could never go any further than that. Uh, of course, you know, an awful lot of people think that uh, Oswald or uh, um, Sirhan Sirhan uh, was was programmed, you know, to kill uh, Robert Kennedy. And that could be very possible as well. Have you guys ever looked into that? We did an episode on it. Yep. What do you, yep. you think? I think it's totally connected. The yeah. same family, which makes me really nervous about Junior over here trying to become a president right now, because it's kind of you kind of start ticking that clock again of like, oh, what's going to happen now? Because you've already had members of that family in the 60s assassinated for mm-hmm. whatever motive. 
And Robert Kennedy Jr. now is is very much like other members in his family. You know, he's a kind of a counterculture person in the presidency, if you were to get that, which I don't think he will. But <laughs> who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. Mark, we'll have to have you back on to uh, talk about Robert's assassination. Well, I'd be more interested in knowing what you guys know at some point. I know we've run out of time, but uh, this has really been interesting, and I, I appreciate it very much your uh, having me on and letting me talk about these things. I, they're kind of my contributions to history. People, I try to write stop-and-think books, you know. Now, this will give some yeah. people out there, hopefully, they can stop and think. But now you've got me intrigued about Frank Regano. It's your fault right <laughs> there on the uh, left hand there, uh, because uh, that that is very interesting. You know, you guys know about Coast to Coast Radio with George Norrie? Yeah. But I've been on there several times. George is a great interviewer and all that, just like you guys. And, you know, he uh, believes in his mind, or at least he's told me several times, he thinks he's the last person to have interviewed James Hoffa in Detroit. Hmm. He worked for a, or maybe you know this, a radio station or a newspaper or something. And he interviewed Hoffa and, and then he was dead. So that connection has always been really interesting to me. And um, you know, if, if, if you, uh, if you, if you read the book, they paint houses, don't they, or paint, they paint yeah. houses, don't they? And then made the film about that. That's really eerie in terms of what happened to how they, they may have killed Hoffa. Uh, you don't happen to know where the body is, do you, any of you? <laughs> we'll let you know when we find it. <laughs> I appreciate it. The world would appreciate it. All right, Mark, uh, we are coming up on our hour mark here. And yeah, just one more time, let our listeners know, let everybody know where they can find your work and what you got going on next. Sure. Uh, it's Mark Shaw and it's MarkShawBooks.com. A lot of this material about uh, uh, the uh, Warren Commission corruption is up there and my common sense approach is up there. And other things about my books are the report that Fighting for Justice is the latest one. Um, I'm looking into Mary Meyer's death. You know who that is? If I can just, can I mention why? Absolutely. Please James do. Atherton. Do you know who that is? Negative. James Atherton, if you look him up, was a, a CIA operative. No, I think he was a big cheese at one particular point. And I only found out because I had a CIA document that I used in collateral damage that connected Marilyn Monroe, JFK, and Dorothy Kilgallen. And it talked about uh, uh, Hoover tapping their phones. It, it was released about two days before Marilyn died. She had threatened to go to the media because the Kennedys, either through pillow talk or whatever it was, had shared matters of national security with her, as it says in this document, uh, about killing uh, JFK wanting uh, uh, Castro killed. And all of that. And so that document, uh, I, I, the first time I read it, I missed it even the second or third time. But at the bottom of that document, it says CIA document, secret at the top, it's James Atherton's name. James Atherton, then, if you look it up, was the person selected to go to Mary Myers' home after she died. And the belief is that he may very well have confiscated uh, documents that would have pointed towards who killed her, who murdered her, because that's never really been solved, that particular case. So I'm going to I'm going to do a little bit of reverse there and start with Atherton and kind of go back a little bit because he was a friend of Mary Myers. Mary Meyer, you know, was was a uh, one of uh, JFK's uh, uh, ladies. And so there's something going on there, just like uh, he brought up about uh, Frank Regano. But it's, it's been kind of running through my head. And so I'm going to do a little work on it because uh, I've looked at a couple of books that have been written. They're excellent. But I think there's, Dorothy always look for the little clues, and so do I. And I think there's something that we're missing with regard to that murder, and I'm going to try to find it. Yeah. Yeah, and her killer was also acquitted. The one that they... Oh, yeah, that that's they, right. Uh, yeah, that no, was... Ray... Uh, Isn't that a weird one? Ray... Ray Cramp? Yeah. Ray Crump? Is something that like that. Good memory. Yeah. Crump. Yeah, he was, he was acquitted also. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. And it's kind of weird that they thought he really was involved, if I remember right. It didn't seem like it made yeah, a lot of it sense. Didn't, but he it was didn't. there, right? They picked him up there or something. and Yeah, the dots didn't connect, though. No, that's right. Wrong place, wrong time for him. Yes, exactly. <laughs> All right, Hushlings, 
that is going to do it for our declassified discussions with Mark. We will have all of his links in the show notes as always. Thank you as always. And we will see you next time. I'm Mystery Mike. I'm Declassified Dave. And I'm Sick Frank Sanders.